Welcome to Sports Med Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. Over the past week, we shared four position statements that have been released in sports medicine. Here to discuss with us uh, how we can incorporate the position statements and consensus statements in our practice is Nicole Catano, a regular contributor to Sports Med Res. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. Um, I think as we were some kind of saying before we started to record, one of the concerns I've always had as we share these consensus statements is over the past decade, we've shared about 289 physician statements, consensus statements, or some kind of treatment guideline, um, which is an enormous amount of information being shared to the clinician. And it's not always clear how much of that is known that's even out there. Because um, there's sometimes statements on topics that people don't even think would have a statement. And I was wondering, from your point of view as a clinician, an educator, and a researcher, how do you keep up to date on these consensus statements? And then how are you using the consensus statements when they do emerge? Sure. And it's a great question. Um, and I don't know if I have a, a great answer, but um, how I kind of handle things is normally when I'm looking for information, I'm going to seek it out when I'm conducting searches and things along those lines. So it's funny that you mentioned the sheer volume of information overload that, that's hitting folks. And, and I think we all feel that. Um, and I will say that keeping up to date on things is difficult because sometimes the consensus statements come out and then there's a new one 10 years later and you're not even sure of it. Um, so the way I kind of incorporate it is normally I approach it with what's my clinical question, my clinical problem, and then I conduct a search. And, and what's nice about statements is to me, that means there's enough research for, for folks to make recommendations and actually kind of grade them um, as far as the recommendations are concerned, which, which helps to add support or whether, whether I'm choosing to do something or choosing not to do something. For, the, for our profession and, and how I teach our students is we normally start at, within the NATA's position statements, and those are kind of considered what's best practice for our profession. But sometimes you do need to kind of seek validation from, from other areas or other disciplines. And, and what's interesting is when you look at some of these other disciplines, they're, they're thematically saying the same things, maybe just approaching it from a different angle. Um, so even though it's out there, I think we've got to do a better job at, at looking through it and using it to either support or refute the clinical decisions that we're making. And I appreciate the idea that um, we prioritize, you prioritize sometimes the position statements coming from the NATA. And like you said, for certain things like heat illness, injury prevention programs, there's multiple organizations that often have position statements in this space. Um, so have you encountered issues where other members of the sports medicine team may be relying on different position statements and communicating clearly kind of which ones are we going to take which components from? I, like you said, usually they agree, but sometimes there's some subtleties to it. Um, so I was wondering how you have those conversations with other members of the team. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I'm actually thinking of one position statement where um, a member of our, our sports medicine team actually disagreed with the recommendation and, and the support from an NATA position statement based on newer science and literature that was out there. You know, so so to me, a position statement where it it's kind of the best practice or um, it's not the the way, right? It's not like mandated that you do this. It's, it's just a, a facet to take into consideration. 
So I think we all have our own biases in regards to what we kind of want to glean from it. And I think it's important to kind of understand kind of the, the three pillars of, of evidence-based practice and looking at what does the research say, what does my clinical experience say, and what does is, what is the patient kind of want or, or feel that they need out of the situation? I think far too often patients or even sports medicine, um, like athletic trainers may take what the physician says as, as gold. You know, they are the physician, they have our, our standing orders, but sometimes having an educated conversation as far as why you believe what you do or, or, or support the decision that you're making and why maybe they think differently. And then we kind of come to, to a consensus together. Yeah, I think to that point too, I think one of the interesting trends that seems to be emerging, especially through journals like British Journal of Sports Medicine is encouragement of organizations to offer dissenting opinions, um, especially in consensus statements. You know, when we have a position statement, usually it's a, this is what the organization is advocating. In a consensus statement though, Consensus doesn't mean everybody agrees. And so I can definitely see how this newer movement towards having a dissenting opinion in the piece could contribute to those discussions to say, you know, this is, I don't agree, and this is where we see it. Yeah, and I I think that's what I like about consensus statements versus position statements, because they're more flexible in in the way that you kind of alluded to. And to me, it shows kind of the the validity to all of the work that everyone's doing and that all aspects are, are being taken into consideration. You know, it, it's how research and, and science works. And so I guess the last thing that I wanted to touch on was going back to the idea of kind of keeping up on these statements, because there's a lot of statements out there I think people don't even know are there. You know, like there's position statements on what to do with people who have diabetes that want to play sports, what to do with people who have um, internal defibrillators. It's these little nuanced things that come up. And so I was wondering, you know, some of them don't get a lot of updates. Some of them get dated. Um, when you're doing a search in this area, I mean, where does the consensus statement fit into the level of evidence and the other aspects that you find when you do an online search or a PubMed search? Yeah, I think that's a great question. For me, it kind of serves as the baseline measure. Um, you know, because if there was a consensus statement that was put out 10 years ago, um, it needs to be updated. There's been a lot of science since. And, and so it kind of shows wh- where we were. And then the newer research kind of informs whether or not it's supporting what that consensus statement was, or maybe it is adding value to some of the, the naysayers, the disagreements or, or the, the lower level recommendations. But honestly, I mean, two of the ones that, that SMR shared this week, I was like, huh, I didn't even know that existed. You know, so um, I think platforms like yourself are, are helpful for kind of putting plugs in for, for areas that I might not be as familiar with. But honestly, when, I, when I'm doing a search, it's normally, like I said, I use it as a baseline measure. Even if it came out last month, it's, it, it's helpful to see, but there may be, it's kind of like a stay tuned. There might be more information coming soon. And with that, are there any other resources besides SportsMed Res that you often go to to try and identify position statements or consensus statements? Um, sometimes I'll try to go through um, like the Cochrane Library. You know, they don't tend to be as as focused on, on our area, but but we'll look through there. Um, CEBM um, from Evans-Based Medicine uh, website. But honestly, um, sometimes I just kind of stick with some of the organizations that, that we're involved in be it ORC, AOSSM, you know, NATA, you know, those, those types of, of areas to see if we can add some information. And the other thing is, um, we're part of the um, AATE 
Um, and sometimes resources are shared that way um, so that we can kind of incorporate them into the classroom as, as an opportunity to think. So as we wrap up, do you have any like take home suggestions for clinicians that are one, trying to keep up on what is out there for position statements and how they could potentially be using those? I think, think of the areas that are, are, are thematic for the patients that you're dealing with. Like heat obviously was just a, a focus with the pre-seasons and everything going on. And so maybe kind of preparing yourself as you're going into the seasons, um, you know, to, to look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, stay up to date, but, but I'd say consensus statements can, and, and position statements can serve as a good baseline for consideration. Um, if you're doing stuff that doesn't have a lot of evidence, maybe you start to question what you're doing and, and find if there's a better route. Um, but we can always continually improve. So I, I think that searching for them and using them to inform your practice is only going to continue to improve your professional practice and, and your patient outcomes. Great. Thanks. And I think, too, it's worth also noting that one nice thing that I think that came out in one of the position, consensus statements in American Journal of Sports Medicine recently noted is all position statements are often in areas where we have ample evidence to make recommendations. Consensus statements fill a nice niche of sometimes we don't have the clinical trials to explain what to do in an area. So the consensus statement can offer a glimpse into what experts in the field might be thinking about that topic. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of merges the research and the, the clinical practice all together into one. So a great point. Great. Thanks, Nikki, for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on. Don't forget that we also share extra material on social media. And if you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our nine online evidence-based practice courses available through the Human Kinetics website. We will have links to our summaries and the courses on our website and in our show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more sports medicine research. Until then, have a fun one.